And welcome to the weekly Industry 4.0 community podcast put on by 4.0 Solutions for Tuesday, January 10th, 2023. I've, I got that right all week long. I've been getting it wrong, putting 22 on all my notes and everything, just like everyone else does. Takes me two weeks to remember that the year changed. I am your host with the most, Walker D. Reynolds, this week. Um, this podcast is a... Uh, um, uh, is our predictions for 2023. I mean, we're going to cover a bunch of different topics, but um, <clears throat> when I get down to the predictions, I have three key predictions for 2023 for industry. Um, there, are, I have a lot of them, but I wanted to narrow it down to narrow it down to three, and not really just for industry, but more in the um, the digital sphere, the digital transformation sphere, right? Um, I wanted to, today I'm going to go over a couple of, uh, answer some questions from the Siemens video and from the podcast last week, uh, talk about some stuff we're doing with mentorship and mastermind, uh, for 2023. Um, and then talk a little bit about, um, kind of what I'm doing for 2023, what my, my plans are here. So I'm going to start with, uh, announcements, um, Tomorrow is the advice for those of you who are in mentorship and mastermind. Well, I want to answer a couple of questions. So I've, we've been getting a lot of um, like comments on LinkedIn where people have been posting their certificates for the IIoT mini course. So if you go to <clears throat> IIoT.university, for those of you guys who are in our program, men mentorship and mastermind. By the way, I don't care if you do the programs or not. I'm not here to promote them. That's not it. I'm here to really just help people and answer questions. And this is a great medium to do it because we take this long form and it turns into short form and medium form. So there's a lot of questions that I got, I've, I'm getting in LinkedIn about, oh, where do I get this mini course? Because a lot of people have been posting their certificates for the IoT mini course. They'll post the certificate and they'll say, hey, Walker Reynolds, thank you for putting this together. This free mini course was awesome. And then people are writing in the comments, how do I get to that? So Josh has put the link in there. The, the IoT mini course is, <clears throat> um, it's seven or 10 videos, and it's basically the foundational lesson um, on what is IoT, what is Industry 4.0, what is digital transformation. And there's a contrast between the old linear way of integration, point to point, going up the stack to a more hub and spoke UNS approach. It's not really hub and spoke. I, I don't like to use that term. Um, you can go to the, take that mini course at iot.university forward slash whatever the link was that Josh put in there. In addition to that, we have the mentorship and mastermind programs. So for those of you who ask questions about mentorship and mastermind, mentorship is for, is a program where we teach engineers. So, Members of that program are like students in college, people just out of college, people who've never been to college, technicians who work like in the electrical departments for manufacturers um, or in the mechanical departments for manufacturers, uh, quality personnel, whatever. Anyone who wants to get involved in digital transformation, doing Industry 4.0. Mentorship is where we teach the technical skills to do those things. So start with the foundational lessons, but then also we teach the technical skills, how to build a data type how to build a visualization, <clears throat> what is a unified namespace, you know, uh, what are the functions of the various layers of the stack, et cetera. 
we've been doing these programs two, two and a half years. So <clears throat> people who join the program, you know, it, it when they when they join me mentorship, you end up with all of the content that we've done over the last two and a half years, plus the stuff we're doing going forward. So all of those, it takes most people <clears throat> quite a while to get through all the videos that we've already, all the sessions we've done. In mentorship, we have <clears throat> step one training, which is centered around ignition, credentialing, and development. And then we have step two, which is coming out next week, uh, which has been released in various forms up to this point, but is coming out next week, uh, which is centered more, um, it's advanced ignition plus um, um, an introduction to frameworks. Um, so you have those training programs. And then in addition to that, once a month, we meet for one hour on a Friday. As it stands right now, we meet on the second Friday of every month at nine o'clock in the morning for one hour. I'm on that call. I lead that session. We do a technical lesson. We answer questions. We do fellowship. Mastermind is the program where we teach executives, managers, C-suite, how to lead these initiatives. There's a lot of overlap there. You have a lot of people who are in both mentorship and mastermind, and they're doing both programs because they want the technical skills, but they also want to be able to lead. In mastermind, it's more around overcoming objections, defining strategy, writing minimum technical requirements, architecture, planning, um, uh, leadership skills. Um, and we meet at, at the, the third Friday of every month at eight o'clock in the morning for somewhere between two and four hours. Um, <clears throat> we were less technical in those sessions, although lately we've gotten more technical. So if you join mastermind, you have all that stuff for the last two and a half years. Why do I bring this up? In 2023, mentorship and mastermind are going to be changing. <clears throat> um, and what I'd like to, and, and the plan is, um, you know, as the way I've written the curriculum is in mastermind, we have lots of people who've been in these programs now for, I mean, we have some people who've been in for two and a half years uh, who have been from the beginning. They're still members um, and they're, you know, and they, they've gone on and either created their own companies or taken what they've learned and, and applied it where they're currently working to help lead digital transformation initiatives. Really good examples of those people are, you know, Dave Schultz, Kevin Jones, Dave Schultz at G5, um, Kevin, um, uh, Jones at Ectobox, Mario Ishigawa at Pack IoT. Those are just three of the examples. Um, in 2023, what we're going to be doing with mentorship and mastermind is we are going to be asking the members of mastermind to drive what it is the mentees will be developing in mentorship. So we'll be doing sprint review and planning in mastermind as part of the lessons. So there will still be half the session will be a lesson. The second half of the session is going to be sprint review, reviewing the stuff the mentees had done previously, and then planning the next functions that they'll be building um, for the next meeting. Okay. And then in mentorship, we're going to have a technical lesson for about 30 minutes. And then for 30 minutes, we're going, we, we may extend the mentorship class. I, one of the things I've been thinking about is turning that one hour session into 90 minutes, but we haven't reviewed any of this with the advisory board yet. But what will be happening is the mentees will do 30 minutes of a technical lesson. And then the second 30 minutes is going to be our planning where we're going to be giving them the assignment, the technical assignment where they're going to go and develop. Okay. In order for us to do that, the way it currently works is mentorship comes first in the month. It's the second Friday. 
and Mastermind comes second in the month, it's the third Friday. What I want to do, a couple of different options. We could either flip that. We could make Mastermind the second Friday and Mentorship the third Friday, or we can leave Mentorship where it is and move Mastermind to the first Friday. So tomorrow in the advisory board meeting, um, uh, our team will be meeting with the advisory board in that meeting to propose that change. If you're a member of any of those programs and you want to voice your opinion on whether we should make those changes, what you would like to see, either flip them second and third. So now Mastermind would be the second Friday. Mentorship would be the third Friday. The times would stay the same. So Mastermind would still start at 8 a.m. Central. Mentorship would start at 9 a.m. Central, but the days would be different. Or will we just move Mastermind to the first Friday, leave mentorship right where it is? If you have an opinion on it, please voice it to the advisory board in the Discord server. Um, if you don't have an, an opinion, forever hold your peace. <laughs> um, for those of you who are in mentorship and Mastermind, we the, the meetings that we have in January are the exact same. So the next mentorship meeting is this, this Friday, the 13th at 9 o'clock. We will be doing a, our last purely technical lesson in the old vein. Then we'll have Mastermind next Friday, which will be the last technical lesson in the old vein. And then starting in February, we'll be on this new schedule with this new curriculum approach for 2023. Okay. Um, <coughs> Josh sent out the mentorship schedule for 2023. If the dates change, he'll send out a new one. If they don't change, so if Mastermind just gets moved to the first Friday, the mentorship schedule will remain the same. And he will be sending out the Mastermind schedules once this decision's been made. Um, all right. Starting next week, one more announcement here. Um, two more announcements. Uh, we have taken a bunch of feedback from the community. Should we do the podcast every week? Should we do whiteboard videos? Should we do the podcast and whiteboard videos? Okay. Um, for those of you that know, doing this podcast, um, you know, we we obviously, a lot of people watch our podcast. It's obviously high quality. We've invested a, a shit ton of money. If you look at our the average amount of time that people watch the, the podcast, we have a really long average watch time. Um, we get thousands and thousands of views every single week. I think, I mean, what we get on YouTube in terms of total views of the podcast is just, is only, it's like a quarter of the total actual listens. Apple podcast gets, gets, you know, twice as many listens as we do on YouTube. Um, and then I think LinkedIn is a, a smaller fraction. So we, obviously we, we put a lot of time and effort into the producing this podcast Tuesday. This is the only thing I do on Tuesday. We have a we have a multi-hour pre-production meeting all morning long on Tuesday. We're reviewing comments, we're reading emails, we're reading messages, we're putting together a production slide over here that just is basically here's all the things I'm going to talk about. There's no script; it's just bullet points, and I just riff them. And that's why you may notice sometimes we go over by 15 minutes or whatever. There's a huge amount of effort that goes into that. It's exhausting. There's nothing else I can do on Tuesday. I mean, it's basically I'm done with the podcast. I go hit the gym and then I read emails and I answer questions and do my executive job in the afternoon. Um, we also want to bring back whiteboard videos. And the re primary reason we haven't been shooting whiteboard videos is because Zach left in June. Zach and I, part of the reason our, our whiteboard videos were so high quality, the reason people really liked our whiteboard videos is because Zach is an engineer. Zach and I have been, he and I had been working together for 
since 2012, 13 or something. Zach speaks the language. He may be a digital media expert, but he's an engineer. He's been doing this a long time. And so there was a huge advantage of having Zach behind the camera because he could ask me the questions that all of you guys were thinking. It would, and, and so it always seemed like I was answering the question you guys had. And it's because Zach was asking that question. The reason I haven't shot more whiteboard videos is because I'm not going to put up bullshit content. If I don't think that I can shoot a whiteboard video and answer your actual question, then I'm not going to shoot it. So that's the reason we haven't been shooting it. But we want to bring it back. Okay. And the proposal right now out, out there, and this is the same thing if you guys want to mention this to the advisory board, is we want to do the podcast every other week. So we want to shoot that we want to do the podcast every other Tuesday, live stream the same way we do it right now. And then every other Tuesday, when we're not doing the podcast, we'll shoot the whiteboard video and we'll and we'll release the whiteboard video on Wednesday as a whiteboard video Wednesdays. One of the ideas that we've been throwing around is what if we did the whiteboard video live? Could we could we have me do a whiteboard video based on a specific subject? and answer the questions from the community in real time. There are a couple of challenges. Number one, the minimum delay between when I when I speak right now and you hear is about 10 seconds when we're live streaming. But for some people, that's up to 60 seconds. And so obviously, if we were trying to do this interaction thing, it could be problematic because I would be getting feedback 10 seconds after I say the word so or say a sentence, right? Um, we have to, we would have to figure out that technical challenge, um, and and the other part is you know how messy would it be? So do we want to? Could we do really high quality whiteboard content by ha you know having the community ask me these questions? We I would I would love for you guys to provide your feedback to the advisory board on that idea. Two things: number one, we're absolutely going to bring back whiteboard Wednesday. Starting next week, there will be no podcast. We'll be doing a whiteboard video. It'll be released on Wednesday. We're going to produce it on Tuesday in place of where we would normally do the podcast. So the next three podcasts are today, January 10th, then Tuesday, January 24th, then Tuesday, January 7th. Those will be our live stream podcasts. The whiteboard video, the first whiteboard video will be Wednesday, January 18th. Um, Wednesday, February 1st, Wednesday, February 15th. Okay. So please provide your feedback to the advisory board on that, on two things. Number one, you're cool with the alternating podcast whiteboard video idea. I'd be interested to see the feedback right now in the chat. I can't see it. Remember, if Josh, if anybody likes the idea, please put it up on the screen. Or if they don't like the idea, put it up on the screen too. Um, and then also, what about, what about doing it uh, live? Uh, what about doing the podcast live? Okay. Um, and then the last thing is this. I wanted to talk about uh, um, what I'm going to be doing in 2023. So starting in June of this last year, most people don't know this. I, I stepped back as both president of Intellic Integration and president of 4.0 Solutions. Um, Matt Olson who is our chief operating officer. He took over as acting president of Intellic Integration. He runs the day-to-day -day operations of the engineering firm. And Travis Campbell, who's our chief financial officer, he runs the day-to-day -day operations at 4.0 Solutions. And I am still chairman of the board and I and I still lead 
the board meetings for both companies. John McLeod, who is our chief experience officer, is the other board member. Um, and my focus in 2000, what we did in, from June 1st to the end of the year was to trial that. How would that work? Because, you know, at the end, I've been doing this a long time. I've been, you know, anybody who's started a company knows um, how, just it has to be your life. You know, it just has to be. It, 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 there's no, you can't, you can't start a company and spin it up unless you're willing to get absolutely everything you have to making it a success. Okay. And, and I achieved that through putting, building my family around that mission. So my, my, my family at work and then my family at home. So we, we had to set it up so that I could spend time with my kids. We had to basically set it up so that whenever I was available, Whenever I could break free, we could spend time together as a family. Otherwise, I just was going to have no relationship with my kids building my companies. Okay. Um, the it, it is a huge undertaking to start a company. And this is the reason 90% of startups fail. I just want to point out, I've never had a startup fail. So I must be doing something right. I've had great mentors, uh, incredibly grateful for the mentors who have guided me along the way. Um but I, I'm at a point in my life where I want to I want to work on I want to stay in industry, and I, I still want to teach, and I, I still want to be an architect, and I still I still want to advise um, my closest clients, and I still want to teach students, and I still want to lead mentorship and mastermind and everything. But I don't want to be involved in the day to day operations of an engineering firm anymore, and and I don't want to do operations for anyone, <laughs> honestly. Um, last year we developed the vision system. Um, and predicted a world record. You know, I, in fact, I developed it from scratch myself. I built the whole prototype myself and then using my prototype, not another developer's hands touched it. It was all pure Walker code. We predicted a world record, um, deadlift at the Shaw classic in August. We, we predicted it five rounds before it actually happened. We shot videos on this. There we have a documentary coming out that's going to show it. I've also been using that technology to improve myself as an athlete. So you guys may notice I was pretty fat a couple of years ago. I, I'm, my weight peaked at around, I mean, I've always been an athlete. I've always been, you know, I, I was an athlete in high school. I lifted weights. I ran triathlon. I, but in, when I started my companies, I didn't work out at all from, from 2015 until two years ago, I did basically no exercise whatsoever. And my weight ballooned up and I was, you know, I was at a weight where I, I or I was at a, a point in my life where if I didn't start taking better care of myself, I was probably going to die young. So I started lifting weights. I got very serious about it. I am incredibly serious about it. And based on what I know, I just developed technology that was going to help me be the best at what I did, you know, building a vision system that could look at ergonomics, <clears throat> look at my reps, make sure that I'm measure the force, um, <clears throat> measure my ergonomics. Um, measure, measure velocity. And then I, could I predict injury and could I predict success? You know, so can I predict what's the maximum weight I should be able to lift on that particular day? Can I predict whether I'm going to successfully lift this weight at this number of reps and what's the likelihood I'm going to get hurt? We use that technology at the Shaw Classic to predict the world record. And then as a team for the last four or five months, we've been figuring out how to commercialize that and take it to market. And we've made the decision. We're going to go ahead and invest in that. I'm going to lead it. We have uh, one of our engineers is going to lead product development. And we've, you know, we've 
um, purchased our domain and selected our logo and, you know, and it's, it's full strength.ai is the name of the, the new company. And I'm going to be focused on helping get it, get that off the ground <clears throat> on February 11th of this year, a team, uh, a team of six power lifters, including myself. So, um, we'll be competing at a power lifting meet in, um, New Braunfels, Texas. And we expect to slay some major ass based on our technology. Um, and, you know, and we'll be, we're sponsored by 4.0 Solutions. That will be a huge focus of what I'm doing next year. The reason I, I want to do that is because I, 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 th I think the next logical step for Industry 4.0 is to demonstrate the merging of industri industrial solution with commercial solution. There was this question Gary Pratt put on LinkedIn the other day. I didn't even bring it up here. I wasn't going to bring it up. Gary Pratt put a, a, a question on LinkedIn talking about one of the reasons he thinks that industry 4.0 hasn't taken off in industry is because of the economy of scale. <clears throat> industry is a niche there. You don't, you don't have, you can't, um, you don't have the magnitude of consumers. You don't have the magnitude of developers. You don't have the magnitude of stakeholders that you have with say the, the potential customer base of an Apple watch. You don't have the same magnitude to justify the investment in the development. And my response to Gary was, listen, I agree with you, brother, except the next logical step in industry 4.0 is in a, is a, dissolving of that bifurcation between industry and commercial in in our the in a really good example would be look at what arduino is doing arduino was exclusively a commercial maker hobbyist product but the technology they developed easily transcended the industry commercial market and that's what we're seeing with portenta and the pro series and, and I think the next logical step for us is to take what we do in the industry and move it to the commercial side and do it in service of our mission, which is to help save and create middle-class jobs. Our primary goal with our vision system will be to shorten the learning curve for the lay, the lay lifter, the lay athlete, um, the things that we know as, as experienced athletes it's hard to take that and put it in someone else's brain. What we really want to do is take that and put it inside of an algorithm that can then translate to someone else's performance. And that's our ultimate goal. Um, and so that's a lot of what I'm going to be doing in 2023 is focused there. Eliminating that bifurcation between industrial products and commercial products. Okay. So full strength.ai, keep your eyes open. Um, Hopefully you'll find it exciting. We are going to invest a huge amount of money in it. Um, <clears throat> real quick, I wanted to, there was this question that came up and I don't remember who did it, but I think it was World of Engineering, uh, who I follow on Twitter. If you don't follow World of Engineering on Twitter, I highly recommend you do. They posted a, a question or maybe it was Prager. It was World of Engineering or Prager. They said, where do values come from? Right. And, you know, you'll hear me talk about we're a values based organization or mission based organization. I, I, I drive that point home because um, it's really, really critical to 
our success in building the community, our success in serving our clients, our success in serving our communities, our individual communities, local communities. And they post this question, where do values come from? And I actually sat down and I thought for a while before I responded. And I posted this on LinkedIn and Twitter the other day. But for those of you that didn't see it, I wanted to drive this point home. And then with a little follow-up point. Number one, <clears throat> values are passed on, right? They're adjusted, they're tweaked, and they're evolved. Um, my values came from my parents, right? My, my adopted parents. My, you know, interestingly, I don't think my biological parents had lessons that they were going to teach me. Like, I don't think my biological mom had values she was going to teach me specifically. Like, here are our values. My adopted family, my father, Jerry, and my, and my adopted mom, Maggie, they passed on the three pillars of discipline, respect, and hard work. Like, that just got drilled into our head when we were kids. Um, the concept of no excuses, like even when, even when it's somebody's else, someone else's fault that you failed, you own it. Like they, my parents never allowed us to make an excuse. We never got to point the finger at somebody else because that was a family value. So a family, if, if in our family, if you pointed the finger at somebody else, the family would hold you accountable for doing that. So it was a value that was passed on of discipline, respect, and hard work. Another value that was passed on is if you fail, if you're not achieving, achieving your goals, you're not finding the outcomes you want, go back to your values. Like, have you mastered the art of discipline? Have you mastered the art of respect? Have you mastered the art of hard work? If you haven't, then you're going to decrease the likelihood you're going to get the outcomes that you want. Okay? So values are passed on. They're adjusted, they're tweaked, they're evolved. And in the absence of values being passed on, what the vacuum is filled with nihilism. <laughs> Excuse me. For those of you that don't know what nihilism is, nihilism is basically the concept that there's no meaning of life, right? That, that um, truth is, is uh, defined by the individual. You know, what's right for you may not be right for me, right? All that's horseshit. I mean, that's just, it's, it's all just bullshit to convince you to do whatever it is you want to do. That's, that's absolute bullshit. My kids were asking me the other day, we were having this conversation in the living room. Important lesson here. You know, how do you know what type of people you should surround yourself with? You know, in my, we were having this conversation about how do you know that the people in your life are good people, the managers you're working for are good people. The executives you're working for are good people. The colleagues that you're sitting next to are good people, right? And the answer is, it's really quite simple. Um, you need to ask yourself this question of the people you surround yourself with. Is this the type of person who will choose not to do something they want to do simply based on the criteria that it it will hurt someone else. So the people you surround yourself with, if they have to choose between doing something they want to do, that is they feel like doing, and, and at the same time, they know they're going to hurt someone doing it. Is that enough for them to choose not to do what they want to do? In a nutshell, that is the difference between good 
quality people and poor quality people, those who exploit and those who don't. You surround yourself with people who say, you know, the fact that I want to do this, if I do this just because I feel like it, it's going to hurt somebody. It's going to hurt this person specifically. And that's reason enough for me not to do it. Okay. That's the difference. <laughs> I was having this conversation with my kids. A nihilist will choose to do what they want to do. And a nihilist comes from not having any values passed on to them. Okay. So values matter. If you want good outcomes in your life, all of you, you want successful families, great kids, um, success at work, start with good values and then go from there. Okay. Um, I can't stress this enough. And here's why. There are three questions that we ask before I ever get on camera. I never want to waste your time. Sometimes I feel like maybe I, I possibly someone here feels like I'm wasting their time. This is an industry 4.0 community podcast. I haven't talked about a whole lot about industry 4.0 yet, although I will in the next 60 seconds. Um, the reason I talk about this stuff is because it's fucking important. It's important to industry 4.0. It's important that you are values and mission based in order to achieve good outcomes in digital transformation. Why? Because the digital transformation journey is riddled with opportunities to exploit other people. And if you're not a good person, if you're not a good person, if you're if you at the helm, if you're not the person who's going to choose not to do something simply because it's going to end up hurting someone close, then you don't belong in the helm in digital transformation. Values fucking matter. And we see this all the time. I mean, I, I, I you know, when I'm on LinkedIn or I'm on Twitter, I, I, I watch so many companies that I look up to on their digital media strategy. It's really obvious that they never ask the most important question of all. And that is, what will my audience benefit from me saying this thing? Like, how do they benefit? I mean, there's a there's a, a major industry 4.0 company that's been posting a lot on Twitter. There's a there's a, a industry 4.0 company that um, has done like this collaboration. They were, they're investing millions of dollars in digital media. Okay. And I only found this out like through the grapevine. Somebody called me and said, hey, man, you know what you guys are doing is really motivated these guys. And I'm like, oh, great. Yeah. And they're spending all this money and they've created all these partnerships. And, you know, and I look at their content and I think they're going nowhere because they never ask the obvious question, which is how does my audience benefit from this? Not how am I going to benefit from it? How are they going to benefit from it? So those of you who shoot content, those of you who are doing media, those of you who want to start doing media, ask three questions before you shoot anything. Okay, If you're a good person and you really want to have a positive impact on people out in the world, ask these three fucking questions. Number one, what am I going to say? Number two, what is my audience going to hear? And oftentimes those two things are different. And number three, what will my audience say is the most valuable thing I said here? Never think about yourself when you're doing this. How am I going to benefit from it? I would much rather be playing golf right now. I'm not doing this because I want to. I'm doing this because I have a responsibility to. Okay. All right. Off my, uh, my soapbox. I want to talk about, um, I had a meeting with some uh, investors 
um, this week. Uh, basically, I was consulting for another company with their investors. And um, their investors wanted to hear my professional opinion on this product they're investing in and um, you know where do I think it's going, okay? And one of the questions that came up in that conversation was what is missing? Like what's missing in the market? What can this company be doing better to educate the market? Or what they really wanted to do was sell the product, but what can they be doing better? And I said, well, what they ought to do is they ought to talk about what the real problems are, right? So we were having this conversation. Um, it made me it made me start thinking about what the actual problems are that companies have in their digital transformation initiative. One of the questions these investors asked me is, when is the when does critical mass hit? Like if we if we sell a bunch of our product in the beginning of a digital transformation initiative. And then after say a year or 18 months or 24 months, they don't want to buy anymore, but yet our product is valuable to them. What happened? And I said, oh, that's easy. They didn't, you didn't demonstrate, they didn't demonstrate value in their proof of concept fast enough. And so what you need to do is take a strategy, a strategic approach where you're going to try and show ROI in 12 to 16 weeks, not 12 months or 18 months. Well, how do you do that? Okay. There's a whole host of ways. It's what we teach in mastermind, but not the least of which is you use a very, very small team with a really, really focused goal and you don't allow people to creep your scope. Okay. Because organizations, executives are all fucking morons. Basically, most of them from a strategic perspective, vast majority of executives I work with have no fucking idea what they're doing. None, no idea, zero, zero. They have a very specific, from a strategic perspective, that is. It's not that they're stupid. They just can't execute strategy because they have a very specific expertise and a market niche. Digital transformation is groundbreaking innovation. You got people who are hyper, hyper focused on sharpening that point in continuous improvement. They're not the type of person who jumps from one, from one technological age into the next. That, that takes the Elon Musks of the world. That takes the Steve Jobs. That takes the Jeff Bezoses of the world. That's not the Mary Barras of the world or the Jim Farleys of the world. Okay. <clears throat> so I was asking the question, what are the major problems? Well, in you need to show, you have to, you have to show success in 12 to 16 weeks, number one. But I went back to our team and I asked our team, hey, Carrie, Alan, how many digital transformation maturity assessments have we done in the last, in the second half of the year this year? And I said, and what I want to know, and in, in the digital transformation maturity assessment, we ask what, you know, what are you doing right? What are you doing wrong? What's missing? Those are three of the questions we ask in each of the vertical sessions. And I said, I want Alan to tell me to distill down <clears throat> the most common answers, the three most common answers for what's missing from these companies. So these aren't executives. These are everyone from the plant floor all the way up to the C-suite saying what is missing in their organization in order for them to become a digital company. And here are those three answers. Okay. Number one, the number one response. Actually, I'll start with number three. The number three response, the three most common, the third most common answer is 
leadership challenges. There's a lack of transformative leadership or there's a lack of buy-in from leadership on the value of digital transformation. Okay, so the reason what's missing in their organization is a lack of trans, they're missing transformative leadership or they're missing buy-in, okay? Number two, the second most common response was misinformation about digital transformation that needs to be cleared up with education during the digital transformation maturity assessment process. So this is the customer, this is the client, this is the manufacturer, okay? What is the second most common answer to what is missing? It is what's missing is good information about digital transformation. And it has to, and that and that good information has to be injected during that process. This is why I'm so adamant that all journeys have to start with education. And number three, or the number one response from the customer, not from us, from the customer, digital strategy. Now you'll notice in LinkedIn, in in all these posts on Twitter, you know, I'll I, I'll point out when people start talking about the. The, the lack of success in digital transformation, 80% of digital transformation initiatives fail in the first iteration. It's always boils down to three things, lack of strategy, you know, shitty strategy, street, shitty technology, shitty partners. If you use Accenture, for example, you're going to fail. Unless Accenture changes the way that they approach digital transformation, that is the, the slides they put up on the board where they've got... IoT gateways on the edge that are going to connect you directly into their cloud infrastructure. Um, and there's no, and there's a namespace in the cloud and there's no namespace on the floor and there's no normalization across that gap. As long as Accenture, Accenture is going to continue to do that and they're going to try and create this digital twin that'll never manifest, they'll continue to fail. Why? Because that's the wrong technology and it's the wrong strategy and Accenture is the wrong partner. You can bring all of Accenture's architects on here. I invite their entire fucking architecture group onto the podcast. We'll put a whiteboard behind us. They'll put their slides up and I will draw circles in the gaps. I'll literally go, you don't have an answer for this. And they'll, they'll, their answer would be, uh, that'll, we'll talk about that in the meeting tomorrow. No, you're not. <laughs> you don't have a fucking answer because you have the wrong strategy and you're using the wrong technology which makes you the wrong partner. Okay. I talk about strategy, technology, and partner all the time because those are the three foundational pillars that really we can trace back to any, any issues back to. Okay. You know, th the reason I bring this up is it, it you know, we were, I was thinking about, you know, when we talk about 2023, I had to look at 2022 and I wanted to talk about, I wanted to really understand what changed in 2022. So I'm actually incredibly optimistic about 2023. And here's why. If you were to Google unified namespace on January 1st of 2022, and you Google unified namespace on January 1st of 2023, the number of results that re return is exponentially higher on January 1st of this year. I challenge you to do it right now. Go Google unified namespace. Okay. It shows up everywhere, popping up everywhere. Panacea Technologies over here, Automation World over there. There are articles on the unified namespace everywhere. If you go on LinkedIn and 
and search for unified namespace, all you keep getting is more and more people snowballing, saying, I am more and more convinced this is the approach, the unified namespace approach. So that means we're trending in the right direction. If you go back to Google Trends, right, and you look at, say, the term digital transformation over time, and you look at it over like a five-year window, digital transformation continues to trend up in terms of excitement in the market, okay? ESG actually is trending down as excitement in the market. That is, and what do I mean? If you look, ESG really peaked at the beginning of 2022 and has been on a downward trend ever since. Why? Because the S and the G part are bullshit. The E part are, is valuable. The more people sniff out digital transformation, the more they realize, hey, there's something here. The more they sniff out ESG, they realize, oh, this is, this is some bullshit. Some of it is, right? Um, MQTT. MQTT has never had greater interest in the interwebs than it has in the last year. Okay? So... All the trends point in the right direction. And then the, the current state of the world, okay? Here, here's, a, most people don't know this. There's a milk shortage. I mean, if you go to the store, you know this. Stores aren't, stores aren't, um, or the mainstream media, the, you know, the corporate news organizations, general media are not reporting on the fact that we have, you know, milk shortages and bread shortages in various areas in the country. Because I think they learned their lesson at the beginning of COVID. Uh, they don't want to cause runs on milk. But if go to a Starbucks right now, Starbucks doesn't have whole milk. They can't get whole milk. And I actually met with an executive from Starbucks last week who was telling me this is a problem they have all over the country. Okay. We have supply chain issues, lingering supply chain issues in the United States and all over the world right now that need to be solved. And what is the best way to solve those supply chain issues? a digital supply chain so that we can make just in time, truly just in time with a sight line onto the future. Okay. So that, you know, it's like, um, <clears throat> think about a traffic jam when people are driving the cars in a traffic jam and really, really congested traffic. One person tapping their brakes causes everyone to slow down until you get to a complete stop. Several engineers know this, they study it. Right. And even though there's plenty of room on the road for everyone to be there, and that all you needed was the cars behind you to slow down before you tapped your brakes so that everyone could keep moving nice and gradually. The reason why that you end up with a traffic jam when people are driving, stop, start, stop, start, stop, start, is human behavior. Digital supply, right now, our, our supply chain is all managed by human behavior and human communication. The solution to the start, stop, start, stop, start, stop, that, that springboard, that pogo stick, in the supply chain is a digital supply chain that anticipates um, increases and decreases in the supply chain so that we can moderate, we can slowly pull back so that instead of the shelves ending up bare, they just end up with fewer. You don't come to a complete stop. <coughs> you just slow down. So we have a recipe right now where we can highlight so that the, the the interest and the trends in digital transformation continue to go up. MQTT, digital transformation, unified namespace. 
Um, although you can't get a unified namespace trend right now uh, because the term is just too new. Um, but but if you were to compare, and we did, I I, I Google unified namespace all the time. Uh, believe me, the return the re the results today are drastically different than they were uh, twelve months ago. Okay, um, if you look at the trends and then the environment where we stand right now, twenty twenty three stands to be the 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 single greatest year for digital transformation in industry 4.0 of all okay and we're going to see lots of winners and lots of losers and i'm actually going to talk about three predictions for 2023 i think will surprise people okay because i'm going to i'm going to kind of stay away from the vendors i'm, I'm going to talk a little higher level but i and the reason i picked these three predictions because i think they're the three most important that everyone be aware of but before that i want to talk about 2022 just real quick okay because i want to say thank you to this community i didn't get a chance to do it last week because we started with a bang taking a shot at gartner um because i'm just tired of gartner misleading people it goes back to that misinformation piece the second most common answer is getting rid of the misinformation and digital transformation gartner's part of the problem there um all right so let's start with um Oh, by the way, interesting. Gartner reached out to me this week and we'll talk about it next week. But Gartner's never, you know, they never reach out to me other than to try and get me to buy their services. But they reached out this week. Obviously, we struck a nerve. Year in review. I'm just going to talk about the community as a whole and, and you know, what did we achieve as a community? So number one, in mentorship, we have 446 members in our mentorship program. Okay. And we did 12 sessions in 2022 for a total of 12 hours. We did 12 one-hour sessions in addition to the training curriculum for the, the um, mentorship mentees, okay? In Mastermind, we went from 107 members at the beginning of the year to 183. Um, we did 12 Mastermind sessions in the year, uh, varying between two and four hours long each. We did seven MES bootcamp sessions. So for the MES bootcamp, Anybody who was in Mastermind automatically got enrolled in the MES Bootcamp. We so we did eighteen total or nineteen total sessions, um, sixty-seven total hours of content, and the key sessions in Mastermind were we did Data Ops Part One and Two at the beginning of the year. We did Agile Project Management Part One and Two. We did Machine Learning Part One, Two, and Three. We did Manufacturing Execution with a Unified Namespace. We did just a unified namespace session. We did architecture and solutions. We did ESG part one, and then we did a 2022 year in review. On YouTube, we did about 600,000 views. And I don't have to tell you that if you go in our industry, go to Rockwell's you know, YouTube channel, you know, they get 50 to 100 views on basically every view. I doubt Rockwell's getting 600,000 views in a year. Um, 60,000 hours of view time, and we added nearly 10,000 subscribers. In our industry, that's a huge amount of money. It's not a huge amount of money, a huge number of people. It's actually a really tiny amount of money. But in LinkedIn, we did about a half million impressions. That means a half million eyeballs looked at our posts, about 5,000 reactions, 600 comments, 250 reposts, 3,000 followers added, 12,000 views. So we had a really great year in terms of impacting people. And the results bear you know they they speak for themselves when you look at the trends when you look at digital transformation going up and you look at mqtt going up and you look at all the articles on unified namespace this community makes a fucking difference 
And in 2023, we have the biggest opportunity ever to make the biggest difference ever. All right. So my predictions for 2023. Um, number one, chat GPT, which everyone has been playing with, um, is going to drive an explosion of growth on Twitter, LinkedIn, Medium, and Reddit. Okay. You're going to see a lot more engagement in social media because of chat GPT. You'll have a lot more reinforcement of existing ideas and a lot more noise. Chat GPT in general, I think is a good thing. Long-term, it's gonna be a good thing. Very interesting tech. The, the way that they train the model, so the language they use, um, the, the database of essays that they look at, every chat GPT isn't designed to spit out a contrarian idea, <laughs> okay? It is designed to spit out a very reinforced traditional idea based on how the model's been trained, the language that's being used. There's a lot of people who are just going to go to chat GPT. They're going to put in, I need to, you know, give me a post on MQTT and they're going to slap it on LinkedIn. You can see lots of people doing it already. There, this creates a really good opportunity. Okay. The one thing chat GPT is never going to do it's never going to give the controversial contrarian opinion. And so the people who are giving the controversial contrarian opinions, their contrast is going to stand out even more. And that's a huge opportunity. One of the greatest lessons I ever learned in digital media, I learned it from Zach accidentally. Okay. Zach didn't intend to teach me this, but I learned it through observation. What in a, and it's an extension of something my dad told me when I was a kid. We were talking to my uh, little sidebar here. I was talking to my dad about um, talking to girls. Like when I was ready to date, how do I talk to girls? Um, and my father said to me and my brothers, uh, you know, use the pickup line no one ever, no one else ever uses. And I said, what's that? And he said, be yourself. He said, you don't want to try and trick someone into believing them into them believing you're someone you're not because at the end of the day if what you do is present uh, an image of yourself that isn't who you actually are they're eventually going to figure out who you are but more most importantly when you when you take inventory of the people around you you'll never know if they're there for the real you or if they're there for the one that you presented to them so always present who you actually are. If anyone ever hangs out with me, goes to, has a drink with me at a bar, hang, you know, hangs out with me anytime, the one thing that they always say is that you are, I'm exactly the same person in real life as I am on here. I, there's no, this is fucking me. You know, Cheryl, everyone else on the team will tell you, this is how I talk normally. This is just, I'm having a conversation with an audience, my true authentic self. If you choose to do digital media and you choose to be your true authentic self, then chat GPT and all the people who are going to be trying to use chat GPT to broadcast their ideas. Yeah, it's not their ideas. It's other people's ideas. Um, they're going to look like just another face in the crowd and you're going to stand out more. So my prediction for 2023 is chat GPT is going to make it easier for 
novel ideas to be contrasted because everyone's going to be saying the same thing. Number two, prediction number two, the unified namespace option or adoption is going to continue to expand exponentially. This is obvious that this is going to happen. But if you look at the number of articles that were written in 2021 to 2022, it was just an explosion of UNS. Think about how long we've been talking about it. I've been educating on UNS since 2016, 17. It took a couple of years for it to get adopted because we had to have the successes. And now it's everywhere. Okay. UNS drives success in industry 4.0 and digital transformation. Okay. And and the major impact there, the uh, the wide adoption of UNS, it's going to force my a Microsoft to change the way that they do their cloud offerings, and I think they're already doing it. By the way, I, I want to give Microsoft credit. I don't want to pick on them here. It's going to force companies like Accenture, McKinsey, and Deloitte to learn how to architect with a unified namespace. Because right now, I I spent this last year where I peer reviewed Accenture, McKinsey. Deloitte, um, Wipro um, architectures, and all of them were linear deterministic point-to-point um, -point architectures, okay? Wide adoption of UNS across the industry is going to force the major players to adopt, and once they do, then you hit your critical mass. So 2023 is the year that's going to happen. And you, this community who's been learning, architecting, strategizing, technologizing, solving problems using UNS for the last few years, will have a huge advantage over those who are late to the game. And number three, which I've already alluded to, digital supply chain will begin to alleviate the just-in-time supply chain issues. At a macro, at a, at a macro level, we're going to see that, okay? Um, stores, stores that have better inventory management, common digital ecosystems, updated systems, look at what's happened to Southwest. All, all of the cancellations that happened at Southwest around uh, New Year's all or around Christmas, all of that could be traced to um, siloed data systems. All of it. The, we, we had, the market has a unique opportunity to solve major supply chain issues using digital infrastructure and digital supply chain because more and more companies are becoming more and more mature in their digital journeys. And we're going to see more and more communications in 2023 about how digital supply chain is what solved our supply chain issues, okay? Which is going to make the argument to companies just how bad they need a digital supply chain instead of a linear supply chain, okay? Um, and then one last thing I want to close with here. I did this post yesterday. Um, talking about data interoperability. You know, someone had asked me, um, you know, one of the challenges that we've had with Hybyte, which I'm huge on. I think Hybyte will be the biggest IoT platform I, I, um, um, 
in the market. I mean, as long as it doesn't get gobbled up, <clears throat> everyone's going to need high bite, right? Because there's no competitor out there. You got MuleSoft from Salesforce, but that's higher up the stack, does a shitty job compared, does a really shitty job compared to high bite. High bite is the most revolutionary um, <clears throat> data transformation tool in the market. Okay. <coughs> What Aaron and the team is doing in terms of their expansion is just phenomenal in terms of if you look at the roadmap and the direction they're going. But I, I, one of the challenges that people, that integrators have been having is getting Hybyte adopted in, in their proof of concept because in the beginning, when you're only integrating one machine or a couple of machines or one area, you can get away doing data transformation using an IoT platform like Ignition or Frameworks, right? You can get away with doing modeling and transmission using something that won't scale, okay? So you could take the shortcut. The problem is, is that scalability matters, okay? And if I choose to do something like using my IoT platform up front to do all my modeling, what I'm doing is I'm creating technical debt that I have to undo. I got to pay back once I'm ready to scale. And so what's happening is I'm spending six, eight, 10, 12 months doing refactoring of my technical debt because I didn't make the right architectural choice up front. And so one of the things that I, and I haven't even approached Highbyte about this yet, but hopefully Omar, if you're watching or Tony or Aaron, hopefully you guys like this idea. Um, I What I want to do is I want to do a high bite educational series um, at IOT.university. And we want I want to I want to teach executives why it is you got to make the right data interoperability choice, data transformation choice up front. And I want to teach engineers how to maximize and leverage a tool like Highbyte upfront for data transformation. Okay. Um, and I'm thinking something like five to seven parts, right? Um, and the reason why is because there's a, there's, this is a, in, in, there's an issue in the market right now where people are taking shortcuts upfront that they can't pay for later. Okay. And my post on LinkedIn and Twitter was, Data interoperability in IoT isn't as complicated as it sounds. It's all about translating many languages into one language used by all smart things in the business in service of making data the most valuable commodity of all. You prioritize this or fail. Simple. Um, why am I so big on Highbyte? This is, man, this is really important here. You know what Highbyte is? It is a digital translator for industrial languages into one or more languages of your choice. And it gives you the ability to create information models from your data. Okay. Remember, data is just something that happened and when. Okay. And an information model is context applied to that thing that happened and when. So I can put a couple of events together. I can multiply them together. I can put in a serial number and a model number and an install date. That's an information model, right? A data model is just something that happened and when, 
Okay. You know what Hybyte is? It is a software that translates languages into one or more languages. Well, someone asked me, like, why does Hybyte not have a competitor? And I said, well, that's fucking easy. Who built the best OPC server in the world? What's an OPC server? An OPC server is all, nothing but a piece of software that takes all the languages on the plant floor, the drivers, and converts them into one language, OPC. Okay? It's a translator. Who built the best one in the world? It's beyond debate. It's Kep server, right? Everyone would agree that Kepware built the best OPC server, which is a language translator on the planet. Who was at the helm? Tony Payne. Who is at the helm at Highbyte? Tony Payne. The difference is, is the language translator he's building now is one level above what he already led at Kepware. Now, I may not sit here and explain why I'm so high and mighty on what it is these guys do, but that's the fucking reason. And if I'm going to pay somebody to write me a piece of software that's going to translate all human languages into one language, well, the first thing I'm going to do is pick someone who speaks all the human languages. Everyone has to translate all the languages on the plant floor and in the business into one common language or two common languages. You give me the list of people who are capable of doing that. I, can, I only know of three to six guys on the planet who can do it, guys and gals. That's why Highbyte is going to explode because the their market is all manufacturers. It's not some manufacturers, but moreover, it's all commercial entities. It's all home automation consumers. The steps that Arduino's taking with Pro and Portenta is merging together control on the commercial side and the home side with control on the industrial side. And what Highbyte is doing in terms of translating industrial languages into common business language merges the two together as well. And if there's anything that we are going to see in terms of the biggest moves in 2023, it's going to be all centered around the merging of that industrial space, commercial and home consumer. All right. Josh, any questions I need to answer? Would DBT complete compete? Sort of, Richard. Rather having a lake and a warehouse with DBT organizing things make Highbyte a tough sell? No. Uh, there's a high. So um, the issue with uh, lake and warehouse is assumption is data goes up. So data goes up into lake and warehouse. Then there's an abstraction layer on top of that. And then consumption of data and information comes out of the top of the abstraction layer. What's really more important to do is to take that architecture and tip it on its side so that now it's vertical. So it's not a horizontal layer. It's a vertical layer going alongside all the horizontal layers. High bites over here. 
Ignition's over here. Frameworks is over here. That's why they don't compete. Anything else, Josh? Can we expect the next improved version of Sparkplug B in 2023? Yes. In fact, there's a big announcement about changes to Sparkplug coming out. That being said, I will definitely, what's the best language for industry 4.0 devices? Oh, I mean, I if we're talking devices, that is uh, sensors, PLCs, um, smart devices on the floor. It, it, honestly, it's going to depend. <coughs> um, it's going to depend on application. There isn't best at that level. Okay. Um, for example, for non-high resolution data, native MQTT is going to be totally appropriate. And by that, I mean um, something that doesn't change faster than every 50 milliseconds. Faster than 50 milliseconds, you know, you're, we're going to have to pick one of the field buses. All right. Awesome. I appreciate everyone's time. Sorry for going over those. Remember the comments at the beginning about the advisory board, please reach out to the advisory board members. There's an advisory board channel in the discord. You can make your suggestions to them. And um, uh, based on the schedule changes and our idea for the podcast and the whiteboard videos, thank you for watching, like subscribe, comment, share the video. 